Brogan, who's been sitting in my chair? Oh, oh, oof. nobody, Murph. I would never have guests sit the, in your chair ever. There's, fu- there's fucking crumbs in the creases. There's crumbs in the creases of my command chair. Okay, to be fair, that was not any of the guests. That was me because I like powdered donuts. If you notice on the corner, I also like wiped the powdered donut uh, dust onto your uh, thing. I'm sorry, dude. Okay, That's my bad. But who filled the cup holder with honey mustard? That was also me. That's my bad. Look, it was a it was a bad Friday. Let's just say. Oh my god, I I leave. You know how it is. We've we've all been there before with honey mustard and cup holders. I I go on a, on a tour of the world. I go east and west, and now I'm back again, in the, the state of the satellite of dreams. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I just went east, and I didn't even go as far east as you. You you went you went Pax east. I did. I went to Boston. You went to Ireland. I went to Boston. The the weird white American like pretending to be Ireland uh, area. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's a statement. <laughs> um, it was fun. I liked it. I liked the area. I like Boston as a city. This this was your first PAX. You you popped your 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 PAX cherry as a. As a member of the press. I didn't... This wasn't, like, my first convention, but it was my first gaming convention. I normally did comic stuff, and this was my first time, like, actively doing press stuff, which I have technically been uh, shirking off the duties here, but that's why we're here recording right now, to get some of those duties down, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, you said duty. I did. Call... (laughs) Uh, Here's my Call of Duty. The first game I want to talk about is a, uh, by Battery Staple Games, 30XX. This game has been around for a while. But that being said, when I previewed it with uh, the people, um, they were previewing a specific update, which was a map maker update. And I was like, whoa. And I have never heard of this game before, but it is ultimately a roguelike Mega Man X esque game it plays a lot like Mega Man x if you've ever played anything like that it looks a lot like zx or zx advent to people who know what that means um but the gameplay felt very fluid and i just loved playing it i was like super excited to actually run through it and then he um i believe it was the director of the game showed me the uh the ins and outs of the map maker system and i love map maker systems in games super pro that he talked about how community focused it was and um he showed me a metroidvania-esque level which is not typically how they design the levels so he's like you know you know the community will have more options than we ever do Okay. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm down. And it was it was a really good level. So it, it's a Metroidvania level made in the map maker? Yes. Huh. It is not typically a Metroidvania. It is normally like a, you know, start from the left, go to the right Mega Man X game. Um, but that being said, the community uh, map maker, he even said during the thing, he was like, you know, the community has more options than us. For instance, he showed me Gates. So the, one of the ways they uh, made progression in the Metroidvania level was there were little gates that either measured how many bolts for the currency you had mm-hmm. or whether or not you had a certain power that you unlocked within the stage. So that is how they were able to make the Metroidvania elements. And those gates do not appear in the typical game. So then, so they gave uh, the community a bunch of tools. If anyone's a big fan of the game, I would say look forward to what people are going to make in the future because it's going to be crazy. Yeah, I, ha- I have 20XX. 
I had no idea there was a 30XX, let alone that they were making this sort of like map maker for it. It kind of begs the question, with how much Capcom has been leaning on classic Mega Man, it seems like a Mega Man maker would be like just cash in the bank, right? Well... This is going to, I'm going to push up my glasses. Mega Man has had makers before. He had uh, Mega Man powered up for the PlayStation Portable. He had, there was a map maker on that one. And that one was pretty creative. And that one, that one had less options. Um, The thing is, is, and it's very revealing. Mario Maker has the same thing where those are very limited in what they can do. So most of the time, uh, map makers just made challenge maps. Does that make sense? Yeah, you can only make a Mario course. Yes, exactly. So so at the end of the day, you just decide to make a really hard Mario course. Mm. That is like the extent of creativity you can do, really. And then and then there was uh, Mega Man Universe. Uh, like 10 years ago, but that shit got canceled. Uh, a canceled Mega Man game? I know, I know, I know. So Capcom knows that there is a huge potential there for the com- for you know a Mega Man community to engage with level design, but, you know. All right, well, well what else did you play? Who else did you sit down with? I, I sat down with the writer of the scenario for Infernax Do or Die. Um, Infernax is already out, but this is also a promotion for another update. Uh, this is the Do or Die update, which is a co-op update. Um, you can play this single player. How the single player works is you switch between the two characters. The characters are fundamentally different, which is what I enjoyed. I played the second player because I was already familiar with how the first one played. Infernax plays like a Zelda 2, uh, Castlevania 2, like 2D walking around towns and dungeons and doing shit thing. Mm-hmm. Um, really fun normally. And the co-op mode has... His his role is to he's much more of an archer type and he doesn't use magic. He uses more tools like a crossbow, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he has his own unique upgrade path and his role in the in like in combat takes much more of a backseat support, but it's much more calculated. Like the tools I use were very had very specific trajectories that still engaged me with what was going on, but I was not meant to be in, you know, an enemy's face. So it's not like they're introducing like a new playable character for the single player experience. This is strictly a co-op companion. I don't remember off the top. I would have to check my notes if he is playable. However, I would highly not recommend playing him single player, at least at first. He is meant to be a compliment Mm -hmm. to the limitations of the normal player character. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like the normal player character is limited in his reach and his abilities because he's meant to be like a Simon Belmont or a Link. Very definitive jump arcs, very definitive thing so he has limited range so so the compliment is the the all range no close-up mm-hmm. so it kind of is very important that they go together and again you can play them single player but it involves swapping between the two i i am looking forward to it it's local only is my one big thing oh that's that's like a political statement these days that is a political statement these days i'm gonna have to find somebody and um chain them up to my basement just to do local co-op i need a local co-op buddy that's just what it is it's a tragedy but oh well um another game i played was blackout protocol i was unsure going in but i super enjoyed it um the thing about blackout protocol is it is a co-op 
roguelike, top-down, four-player, you know, shoot 'em up thing. It's sort of SCP styled, where you're going, you're like SCP agents, and you're going down um, a basically a randomized dungeon for SCP monsters. Um, that wasn't the interesting part of the game to me. Um, what I responded to the game with was number one the focus on co-op it plays a lot like alien swarm if you ever played that okay so there's like dedicated class roles and not all of them damage dealing yes there are dedicated class roles there's dedicated like ult powers and all that and then the other thing is is uh this is one of the things i love about co-op sometimes is it it intentionally uh has friendly fire so oh. there's meant to yes it's like a left for dead scenario so then so then i love that because it reminds me of mario bros or something where it's not necessarily a full co-op experience there's a little competition there's a little there's a little tension in the air of how bad you are it, or how naughty you are stick with friendly fire uh yeah yeah but you can clearly see things there is there is a clear iron sights option I should say. And there, there's just clear options all around. It was not hard. There was also a clear evade. I can, I, I could evade easily. Friendly Fire was honestly not an issue okay, during Okay, so it. it's not like a like a Diablo where everyone's throwing out AoEs. No, 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 no. The, the abilities are much more personal. The one I played as, just like, for instance, up to my rate of fire. So like they're they're very minute in their abilities and they're less like, you know, crazy. There are grenades and stuff in the game. But you know what I'm saying? Like it's not it's not anything insane. And then the levels themselves also I played through uh, I played one level pretty long and then I played through a little bit just to see the randomization and then the same level was completely different in format and what you did. So that was really cool. So I enjoyed those aspects as well. Okay, okay, okay. What about so you you did you mainly just focus on indies like there was nothing like big you really sat sought out I I played those I didn't book those for press no, well it's hard to get them for press anyway but I I mean I mean if you're if we just want to go off script here and just talk about what I played the big one I played because I wanted hands on time with it was Street Fighter Six mm. yeah I heard you made a man salty playing Guile I didn't make a man salty he was he was fine. I, I just I just know deep down in my heart that when it's like both of our first times playing the beta, you know, it was just the beta, by the way. So like a lot of people have played it before. I'm, I'm hearing rumor that the beta is going to be open coming up. So that's exciting. Um, but that means it's limited characters. And a lot of people haven't played the game yet. I didn't play the game at the time. But instead of choosing like a cool character like Jamie and sort of mashing buttons to figure out the mechanics, I went Guile. I hid in a corner, I threw projectiles, and whenever he got close, I punished. Mm -hmm. That is what I did. And this is the lesson I impart to all my viewers. No matter what it takes, get the win. Sweep the leg. You know what I'm saying? Victory or death. <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. You know, win or lose, um, it's win. That's the answer. Um, but Street Fighter 6 is really good. I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, when I went off to Ireland, Brogan did say to me, come back with your shield or on it. <laughs> you know how it is. Um, should I keep going, or are we doing a bit still? I, I, I don't have any more uh, 300 references, so... Well, uh, I will reference them in the shade, then. I played Voodolls next, which is a... Um, 
is you could alternate between top down, first person, and third person tower defense. It's a tower defense game. Hold on, wait. I need a second to process those words. So it's it's a tower defense. Is it like Sanctum? You remember Sanctum? I have not played Sanctum. Sanctum was a was an FPS with a tower defense element. Like you'd set up your towers, but then you could run around and just shoot things too. Yes. Yes, that is that is what it would be like. Yeah, you can alternate between first, third, and top-down views. Yes, and the top-down view you don't actually use for combat. Uh, you primarily use uh, the top-down view for setup in the prep phase, and then you activate the phase like a horde mode or like Nazi zombies or something. And then otherwise, it would be third person or first person. I pretty much stuck to third person. There was like a beta out while pax east was out but it's gone now for sure um i enjoyed it i don't normally play games like this but i enjoyed the cooldown mechanic there are different characters with different cooldowns and like power-ups and all that what i was really impressed with was the map though i liked the navigation of it uh how the map was designed and how the mini map in the corner was just like a nice little globe that i could comprehensively see all the details i was very pleased with that i I was able to like map exactly where i needed to go at every moment so i enjoyed it and ideally it's a multiplayer experience with other people in i you know it was only solo because there were two setup stations and people were playing at different times does that make sense yeah i'm I'm watching a gameplay trailer right now i I like this cute art style the art style is really cool again i think the thing that appealed to me most was uh the level and world aesthetic and design that was super cool oh nifty nifty any other nifty games in the grab bag the packs grab bag we're still doing it i'm still going through them uh do not feed the monkeys 2099 this game I was pretty impressed with. Um, I'm probably going to do a what you plan on the original Do Not Feed the Monkeys because uh, the guy gave me a key for it. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I guess I'll play that for more context. But ultimately, what this is is it's sort of like a like a monitor simulator. Uh, it would be very FMV like if it was FMV oriented, but it uses sprite ar- artwork. It uses like pixel artwork for different channels of monkeys. They're not monkeys. They're humans. They call the mon- the humans monkeys oh. in code. So like you're watching humans pretty much. I thought we were getting a monkey game. Ooh, I wish. Well, the, hey, April is monkey. April is still happening. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Don't get okay, me wrong. Okay. Here. Proceed with the non monkeys. <laughs> uh, you'll wake up. You'll see a bunch of monitors and you'll observe observe different habitats for the humans and they'll do different events they don't know you're watching it's not like they're in a zoo it's more just like you're surveying them and uh you're noticing what they do sometimes you can interact with them even though the game tells you not to narratively narratively it's like a no-no it's like oh do not the name is do not feed the monkeys so it's like don't instigate them don't draw attention to yourself etc etc but then there's also like these outer lore elements regarding you know the society you're in the groups you're in that are watching these people And then just like your day-to-day life, because it's not literally you staring at monitors. It's just an aspect of your apartment. And so, you know, otherwise you can go to your right and, or like you can go to Siri, Siri will tell you some things, or you can read your newspaper, read the headlines. Sometimes the headlines reflect what you've done or things going on in the game. Or you can turn to your right and see a door and a fridge and a bed. And you can either do some odd jobs for money because you do need money. 
and you need resources to eat. You need to eat and sleep. And it's sort of like, you know, a little bit of a capitalist crunch there with some wacky elements. Humor is a heavy thing they lean into. So I really enjoyed it and I was anticipating it. The Do Not Feed the Monkeys original one was set in normal modern times. 2099 is meant to have a more hard sci-fi futuristic bent to it where they could have androids and holograms and aliens you know what i mean so um in that sense there's a lot more freedom so is it kind of like a a hands off the sims in a way in a way yeah if what you got from the sims was letting them be and then once in a while fucking with them yes and sometimes again like there will be things that test you of like oh in the job interview today what you know what was the person trying to be a job for and then like you could answer that or there's also keywords that you can click on and learn more about the world itself it's it's a very detailed game it's also apparently really short he told me you could be it could be completed in a few hours but then the point was to replay the game i think i would have a lot more perspective when i play the first one so a future what you're playing will involve an actual analysis of the first one rather than the 30 minutes i spent with this one but even then it was a really good 30 minute impression Okay, I, I look forward to that. I'm, I'm liking the sounds of this. There you go. And we got two more. One is Lifeless Moon. And this one I was way more mixed on. I think this is a... This was made by one person. And it was one of those scenarios where you could tell. The person wasn't there. It was just like a rep for like the publisher, I guess. And it was, it was interesting in the way I like it. I do like, okay, so basically you play as an astronaut. This is apparently, um, this is apparently like a spiritual sequel or a sequel to Lifeless Planet, which was apparently a success. So then he, he's, he's got a chance to do Lifeless Moon and the vibe, and it's meant to be a vibe game. It's meant to be you wandering around a wasteland as an astronaut with like a floaty jump. And you're meant to like, look at things and like learn about the ruined world you're in, et cetera, et cetera. You're chasing down like an engineer and there's like some weird things going on. Um, I think the thing is, is it's very obvious that it's a one person team. Um, it is very clearly like using like standard generic engine assets and stuff. So like, and like the physics are a little spotty. I, I don't mind floaty, but then I was like, oh, however, this is going to be, uh, this is going to, I don't, I don't know how like the, the game developer is going to react to this. This is going to be the most backhanded compliment I've ever said. This is probably the best use of generic assets aesthetically. Because I think it sort of leans into that in the sort of like uh, medit meditative way. There's a lot of objects like floating in a storm, for instance. Or then you land into like an area of forest with like a heavy dense fog. And normally I would say that these generic assets don't produce atmosphere or create creative design but he's able or but the developer is able to assemble them in a way that i was actually like impressed on some level i i would much rather uh that developer be given tools and a team to actually work on things but that being said i do see like a potential here and i would i would play the game more i don't know if i would spend money on it but i would play the game more anyways the last one i got i actually really enjoyed and i want to buy it was smile for me this game was up my alley and i think it's up the murph alley too i don't know i don't know what it is it's there's like a dark humor to the game. Basically, you you play as a character that's forced into this like 
clinic where, you know, everyone's supposed to be happy all the time. And you're sort of trying to make other people happy. And there's a sort of uh, forced happiness over depression. It There's a dark edge to it, but it's not like a mature game. Um, there's a lot of adventure game elements. This is primarily a take on the point and click genre. Um, but it what I liked about it was the multi-textured... Uh, aesthetic it felt like paper mario meets puppets meets like a bunch of other influences that i totally enjoyed and then they transferred it over to the switch and the switch allows motion controls and the primary like uh interaction in the game there's others but the primary one is when you talk to somebody you can either move your mouse uh up or down or up and down or left to right to indicate yes or no. So on the switch that translates to an actual gyro motion. Um, it got a little old after a while, but I still found the gimmick really nice in that multi-textural sense. So then I was like super about it. The humor was nice. Um, the aesthetic was like super up my alley. This game is already out. What they were promoting was the switch port. Um, so I was definitely eager. I may, I may actually fully play this game. I I feel like I've seen this before. It's at least something with this trailer, this this like mixed mediums of puppets and it's like live action puppets yeah. and like weird 3D cardboard and then like so what's the actual gameplay? It's it's just like a uh, like an adventure game. Yes, it's like an adventure game. For instance, in the first room. Uh, you see a photographer and she's got a bunch of pictures on her wall and she says, oh, that loser over there, don't let him talk to me. I'm not interested. And then you go over to the uh, artist and he's like, oh, what does she like? Can you find out what she likes? Uh, she doesn't tell you, but then you're able to look at her pictures and you're able to guess what she likes. So he goes, does she like big canvases or small canvases? Does she like dogs? Does she like the color green? And then you say yes or no to those. And then he figures it out and then he gives you a painting based on what you said. And then, oh, guess what? Oh, she kind of likes the painting. Now they're happy. Does that make sense? Yes. And and you've solved the puzzle. And then there's other puzzles down below. Each character has their own dynamic or puzzle. Um, an interesting aspect I didn't know is that there's a little bit of a time-based element to it. Um, I don't necessarily know if there's like a fail state, but there is like an um, over-under on like... After a certain while, it's like, oh, it's time to go to bed. And then there's like a sort of impending like, oh, get as fast as you can to the bed. Um, I don't know what happens if you don't get to bed, but um, like it's support, it's supposed to rush you to that. There's there's little dark edges to the lightness that sort of makes it work for me, because um, like a big part of the game is like a forced uh, happiness over depression without solving the problems of depression. So I I think there's a lot there if I play the whole game. So I'm interested. Can I read what the top Steam review is? Do it. It's like someone Scott Pilgrimized a game found from a late 90s Russian war CD and added <laughs> some animations from Remedy's cutting room floor. This is an endorsement. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. There's a little, there is a bit of a roughness to it. But uh, it's all charming. Again, it's the multi-textural feel where it's like you kind of don't mind. Yeah, I, li I like the looks of this, actually. I'm, I'm going to check this out. And then I played other games, too. I bought The Big Con, um, and I'm going to play a full thing of oh, that. I enjoyed been, yeah, I've been meaning to play that since I saw it at uh, PAX West. Yeah, yeah, I, I bought it. I got a movie with it. Um, what? The, the, the way they packaged it was as like a digital like card. 
And there's like a grab bag mystery movie with it. And he was like, oh, because I played the demo. And I was like, oh, this plays like fucking 90s teen mall toe jam and Earl. And I'm super about this. Mm. And he was like, oh, if you buy this, you get a mystery VHS movie. And um, all the R-rated movies were gone. Uh. And I was like, this is devastating. I ended up getting the, I don't remember what it's called off the top. It's like eyes of heaven or something. It's the one with Nicholas Cage as an angel and he falls in love. Oh my God. Yes. I know yeah. what you're talking about. Cause there was a weird string of nineties movies where, where, where random actors played angels like Michael with John Travolta. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There's wow. a, Needless to say, I've not seen that film, and I'm probably not going to. But I will play the big con eventually, so here we go. Okay, okay. We are finally done with the PAX Minute. Okay, well, let's talk about let's talk about something recent and topical. Let's talk about Resident Evil 4. There we go, that's what I'm fucking... The GameCube games, let's fucking yeah, go! I know, it's kind of the year of the GameCube, as many have noted. It's so fitting that we started with the fucking Super Mario Sunshine. I know. I didn't even, like, think about it. But in the context of everything, I think Super Mario Sunshine was the right pick for Season 4. Mm -hmm. So I, I have finished the Resident Evil 4 remake um, because, of course, I had to. It is okay, in my opinion. What? Just okay? I'm not, like, bowled over by it. Because it's kind of the thing of, like, it just is Resident Evil 4, you know? Is, is it exactly what you think it is? What I Is it exactly what I think it is? No, or no, like, like, or, like, I guess what it is is, like, is it exactly what it promises to be? You know what I mean? It is a refinement of Resident Evil 4's gameplay. There are not really any updates to the story story or progression that much uh in the later half of the game there kind of is once you get to the mines section there are some some pretty large changes like luis is with you for a whole section and and how he goes out is very different uh, krauser is much more prominent in the back half rather than just kind of appearing um, i think that's a good thing and though. he's fleshed out more they they reference operation javier which is from the Wii Darkseid Chronicles game. That's what we all need. We need Resident Evil lore. Yeah. Um, but then on the flip side, characters like Sadler and Salazar are much less prominent and have much less, of, like, a lot of their characterization taken away. Like, uh, Sadler, in the original, he's he's a con man. Like, he, like, flat, I forget how he says it, but he kind of flat out says, like, the, the whole cult, Los Illuminados, is a means to an end for, like, world domination. He doesn't really believe in any of it. In this, he's just a cult leader. He doesn't even it, he doesn't even explain his plan for why he kidnapped Ashley. I guess that may be a failure in execution. I don't know. I, I haven't played it yet, so I'm very curious. Yeah. Um, but to me, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. I don't necessarily find them engaging in the original version. But it's at least something. Like I, I liked the the banter between Leon and Sadler and Salazar, and that's just like they they cut out the codec calls. Yes. So there's a lot less interaction between Leon and the rest Hunnigan. of the cast. Yeah. Yeah. Hunnigan's um, like much more reduced, although she didn't really have that much of a role in the original. So where 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 does this ranking? Tell me about gameplay then, and then tell me about where it ultimately lands as a remake. So, gameplay, it's definitely much more fluid than the original. Like, you can hot-swap weapons, which is, like, you yeah. know, huge for the flow of combat. You can move while shooting. 
So Resident Evil 4's very deliberate, like, stop and shoot, you're setting up your shooting gallery type gameplay is gone. And it's just kind of replaced with something that feels, admittedly, a lot more generic. And I feel like a lot of the changes they did introduce a kind of negative tension to the combat. Like, in the original, when you aim down sights, you will have, like, perfect accuracy. But now you have, like, a reticle that, you know, starts big and then shrinks down the entire time, like, the enemy is getting closer and the enemies are faster here than they were in the original. So you're just kind of waiting to get your accurate, like, headshots off. Your yeah. knife has durability, which is kind of, like, I grew to be okay with that because it's knives, replacement knives are everywhere. I, I particularly enjoyed the knives, at least in the demo. And I mean, like, you lining up your shot was always a thing in the original, are you? Yeah, but you didn't have to wait on your reticle to shrink, especially for... No, instead you had to wait on slowly moving your uh, fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, but the enemies were also slower to compensate. I kind of enjoyed, the, at, least, at least from my playthrough of the demo multiple times of the village i enjoyed the rushdown enemies i enjoyed the more frantic pace um i'd be curious to ask you if the environments were as dynamic as the the village in the intro they don't really do anything akin to that initial village siege like yes there's the farmhouse siege with louise but it felt like that went by pretty fast compared to the original what with you know it helps that louise's ai is much better and he can like take out enemies on his own but they don't really do any other sort of like see that's the thing it's just there's not enough like changes to the level design and it's kind of missing a lot of like the really much more interesting in camp locations from the original resident evil 4 like the the drill machine isn't in the game the mm. the bit where you like chase that red cloaked cultist and then he pops out of the ground on a minigun that doesn't happen yeah yeah so a lot of the wackier aspects are downplayed or completely removed yeah and in the consequences that a lot of these areas don't feel as memorable well i mean i think that was a thing even in let's say re2 make for instance mm. they still had the decency to include a giant alligator but like the giant alligator is not played up anymore. You know what I mean? Like there is something lost in that translation to something more, you know, serious. Cause RE4 revels in being a fucking B action movie. Yeah. And I think, cause I, I was kind of sitting there thinking like, well, how would you even go about this? And I think like the main problem I was coming to is that like Resident Evil 2 and 3 they remade from fixed camera angle, tank control, like, yeah. more adventure survival horror games and made them over-the-shoulder shooty games. Sure. And then this is not a complete reinvention of the wheel, is what no, you're saying. No, they, they remade Resident Evil 4 into the genre it kind of defined. We, we, can, we can talk about a lot of that more when we get into Dead Space, I yes. think. Does that make sense? But, uh, um, it's just like the thing I was like thinking is like, okay, well, how, how would you? And like, what I kept coming to was making it like something of a different game. Like, you know, at first I was like, fuck it. Resident Evil 4 is first person now, you know, we're doing it Resident Evil 7 and 8 style. But, but that's what 8 is. To me, 8 is yeah. literally like, I don't think 8 is like, I don't think a first-person remake of Resident Evil 4 is good because 8 basically exists. Does that make yeah. sense? A Resident Evil 4 remake also doesn't work because Resident Evil 4 still exists. I totally get that. And the other thought I had was like, okay, everyone has played this game, except for me a year ago. You know, 
everyone knows this story. Let's let's like do some new shit with it. Other than like completely rewriting and going in a different direction, like say like, hey, let's not make Leon quite the main character. Let's like break it up. Like, you know, you do some chapters as Leon, now you do some as Luis, showing like what he's been doing on this. Kind of like the separate ways DLC what, for the original what do you, game. What do you think your what do you think your problems were with the original title? My problem with the original title? It's kind of hard to think of any because it's kind of one of those very flawlessly put together games. I think I have the same problem as everyone has, where it's like you get done with the castle and it's like, oh, there's still a whole third of the game left on the island. Like, your, yeah. your big rescue mission turns into, like, four hours more of gameplay. And here, the everything's... The, the village, the castle, the island are all very evenly spaced. So, by the time you're done with the castle, you're kind of like, okay, let's, you know, I, I still got some gas in the tank. Let's see what we're doing with the island. Yeah. Uh, I, I was also going to say, I'm still kind of infected by the positive praise this is getting. Because, like, I don't think anyone's disagreeing with you. Yeah. I think what's happening is everyone's just going, Resident Evil 4 is a really good game. This is the game, but polished, and I like the game. Yeah. And I, I think there is something to be said for there is something to be said for a new title bringing something new to the table. And I think RE1, 2, and 3 as remakes probably are way better and more deserving. I think we all knew three years ago or two years ago that Resident Evil 4 didn't need a remake. We all knew that. Mm -hmm. But I think some people are just so like about it because it's like, oh, fuck, I get to play Resident Evil 4 again. That's great. Yeah, and like it, much like the original game, I can't really think of anything bad to say about it. I'm honestly kind of struggling to even come up with the criticisms I'm coming up with right now for the remake because yeah it plays very well it looks really good because that the re engine is still amazing looking and you know for every change they made that felt like it took away kind of like from the b movie atmosphere of the original they bring in like something that's really neat like the first time you fight a uh a Garador? The Wolverine men. I know exactly. The, the ones with the giant claws. Yeah, yeah. That's a really well done sequence where you're kind of dropped into its den. and then How did you, they do the... Go ahead. And then you have to kind of like run from it as it's like actively breaking out of its restraints. How, how did they do the uh, regenerators? They... I, I feel like they're not as creepy as the original, but I also knew what I was doing with them, if that makes sense. That makes sense. That, that um, totally makes sense. But also, consequence of playing all the Resident Evil games, every game post 4 has some take on a regenerator. I am regeneratored yeah. out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was a novelty when RE4 happened. And now it's... Well, I mean, I think that's a bit... That may be the ultimate flaw of Resident Evil 4. Is we are living in a post-Resident Evil 4 world. Yeah. And we'll, I guess we'll bookmark that for Dead Space. Yeah, I mean, they just released the Mercenaries mode for it, and there is talks of, like, them doing some DLC that will expand on the game. I think um, Separate Ways is happening. They straight, like, Leon straight up says to Ada, looks like here's where we go our separate ways. <laughs> what are we, some kind of suicide squad? Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it's it's... It's good. I like the attention to details. I'm not mad I spent like $60 on it, even though I did it and I got a 20% discount, but... I I am willing to play it. Let's put it this way. I am more wanting to play this Resident Evil 4 remake than I am the Dead Space remake. Mm. So, mm. 
I they're doing something right. I think on my grand Resident Evil tier list, it would probably fit B tier. Just because it's well, like... Where did Resident Evil 4 fit? I don't even remember. A tier. It was like A. Yeah. Oh, man. For me, it's like an S dog. There's a lot of S's for me. It's probably like three S's. Mm-hmm. But they're all still like 8 out of 10. S means 8. If you just finish out the S, it turns into an 8, dude. Mm-hmm. Does that not make sense? You know what also starts with S? Do it. Sonic the Hedgehog. Let's fucking talk Someone's about Sonic. Someone's killed him. Someone someone deprived Sonic of his insulin, and he, now he's in a diabetic coma on terminal life support. We gotta figure out who did it. It was Eggman's evil plan to uh, rig the healthcare system to charge hundreds of dollars for insulin, because he is evil. No no normal uh, you know entity would charge hundreds of dollars for insulin, right? Eggman no. is pharma bro. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. What'd you, th- what'd you think of the murder mystery? Yeah, this is that, um, like, just April Fool's so- Sega put out, like, oh, we released a visual novel, Who Killed Sonic the Hedgehog? And it was kind of setting up to look like, you know, it's an April Fool's release. Okay, this is gonna be, like, full of memes and in-jokes and self-referential humor. It's really not. It's just a very sincerely done, kind of fun Sonic visual novel, kind of taking more off of the, uh, very popular Sonic IDW and Archie comics. I agree. We played it together mm-hmm. uh, and we are putting it up on the YouTube channel. We're plugging. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, yeah, I think the most impressive thing about it was that it was just very honest and earnest. You know what I mean? It was it was what it was. It wasn't ashamed of the Sonic characters and actually utilized the cast yeah. in a way that's like, oh, this makes sense. I, I like Sonic with his friends. And do you know how rare it is for me to say that? I You know what? I, I'm one of the people I love Sonic's extended cast. I am always excited to see that like, oh, I get to play as Knuckles or Espio the Chameleon in this Sonic title. Knuckles uh, is like a different story. But I guess what I'm trying to say here is, is they're not necessarily used to their fullest extent or their best extent. And a lot of times they are made and then thrown away is another way to say that. Yes. Whereas here they give them defined personalities and you have little puzzles in each little train car for figuring out who they are and what they are. And it is just such a nice time as a narrative. It's comfy. And that's what I think a lot of visual novels, especially of this length and tone, should be. Yeah, I think comfy is a very good way to put it. Like, I, it's like shit, it's being put out for free. I would have, like, paid, you know, five bucks max for this. But, you know, yeah, exactly. I think it, you know, does it really still qualify as an April Fool's prank? Is like the joke that we thought it was going to be a joke and that it's not the joke is us? Possibly. I'm I am I am anti April Fool's jokes. I am pro April Fool's jokes that actually make art. Mm. So in this sense, I am pro this game. I hesitate to say it's like one of the best releases of the year, but it's one of the most surprising releases of the year. And I wouldn't mind them uh, just doing more kind of visual novels like this. Like I I would definitely play more, 100%. But uh, there was another Sega game you played. I did. We are we are going back in fist first into the Yakuza Minute. Oh, it's happening. And we're, we're picking up with where it began, sort of, with Yakuza Kiwami. So this is a remake of one. Yes, it is the remake of the original PS2 title uh, for Modern Systems. So let me ask you, if I wanted to play Yakuza... Should I just pick up Kiwami? Okay, so this is where it's awkward. Both my games are remakes, and we're going to be talking about more remakes more with the uh, with the main topic. This is a very odd 
kind of remake. So, so before this game came out, they released the prequel Yakuza 0, and that was a very well-done prequel because it didn't feel like it was leading into anything. It was covering a time in these characters' lives that hadn't been touched on before, um, which is, you know, how I think you should do a prequel. It's not like Zero was really explicitly setting up for one. The thing with the one remake is it's done shot for shot, not necessarily mechanic for mechanic, but like level design for level design, identical to the original. The the I, I was like looking at comparison footage. The layouts of levels... Uh, are identical, the number of enemies are identical, the boss fights play out identical, the dialogue is identical. It is done exactly to the original, except for the bits they add in, which are explicitly meant to bridge Zero to Kiwami by covering... Because the whole thing with Yakuza 1 is you start with Kiryu in 1995, and then he goes to prison for 10 years comes out in 2005, finds that, like, the world has changed. People he's known all his life are acting like complete assholes now. Everyone's different. And he has to kind of piece together what happened. Now this game is, like, with Kiwami, they're like, oh, here's flashbacks showing what happened. Mm. And they just feel really ham-fisted in. And it's also the kind of thing where it's like, I didn't need to know what happened. It's kind of explained away with the notion that 10 years have passed. People change. Shit happens you know? Yeah. So it's just, and then also on the gameplay end, it feels like a step back because Yakuza 0 had a really fun combat system with the switching of styles and your money as your XP and how they changed up the heat meter and actually made the heat meter really useful for the first time in the series. And then this takes a step back and just has the combat from Yakuza 5 in regards to how you level up, how you use the heat meter, but kept the stance switching from Yakuza 0. So it's kind of like a weird Frankenstein, one step forward, two steps back. And again, you're using that updated gameplay in levels that were designed for a 2005 PS2 game. So it's like, it just creates this odd feeling. Okay, so talking about the previous game, Resident Evil 4, imagine if the Resident Evil 4 remake had all that updated movement, that fluidity with Leon, but you were dropping him in to the identical levels from the original game with the identical enemies. Like, that would feel weird, right? Yeah. And so it just creates this odd situation where it's like people are asking me, so where should you start with the series now? Zero or Yakuza Kiwami? And it's kind of like... I'm not going to play the PS2 version, Murphy. I, I, I wouldn't really recommend people play the PS2 game, <laughs> TVH. So um, where do I start? I have let you go you, this far in these minutes, so the, you could tell me the, where to start. The story of the series as a whole makes sense starting with Kiwami. But if you go from Kiwami, but Kiwami's done as a pseudo-sequel to Zero, but if you start with Zero and then go to Kiwami, you'll get gameplay downgrade, which is frustrating. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I feel in my heart of heart, now I would renege on what I said back in the Vagrant Story episode. Start with Zero, then go to Kiwami. And that... I, I don't know. That just feels weird to me. I have put 30 hours in Zero. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Any other thoughts? No, it's just like, how do you feel about talking more about remakes? Like remakes being not necessarily reimaginings, but just like wholly faithful, even if it's a case of like being a ground up remake. I think fate. Okay. What do you mean by that? First of all, so what do you mean by faithful? Okay. Something like, 
Okay, Yakuza 1 has some really poorly thought out missions. Like, there's one where you have to sneak into a funeral, and it's literally just, like, you walking, and then there's just some dudes randomly wandering around, and you have to avoid their line of sight. And if they catch you, you get, like, a little cutscene where they throw you out, and you have to start at the start again. That is translated identically to Yakuza Kiwami. Even though they could have done something like, you know, new and cool with it, where it's like, feels like an actual stealth mission, you know? This goes back to the Resident Evil 4 thing. And this also, I'm going to throw in another remake, because I played it, and I never talked about it in What You Playing. The Demon's Souls remake by Blue Point. Ah, ha, ha. Um, I'm, yeah, now we're bringing that in. The, the secret challenger of the episode. Where that is, I would say, 95 to 98% a faithful one-to-one remake, um, especially in detailed mechanics and feelings and vibes, um, except for if you, unless you grade on a completely different scale, uh, the aesthetic, which they've completely redone, where, you know, designs are completely changed, characters look completely different, to a lot of people's dismay. I think it hits a certain zone where if it is only up ma- updating the original, it begs comparison to the original. And if the comparison begged doesn't fit neatly into the person's place of heart, then you hit a zone where it sort of doesn't know where to be. So like for Demon Souls, anyone that has played the original PS3 version, most of them are going to be like, this is worse. I think everybody else... Unless they are trying to nitpick, in my opinion, I'm trying to be nice here, um, would just prefer the remake out and out. The remake fine-tunes everything and makes a lot of the unpleasant experiences pleasant while maintaining the unpleasant experiences that were essential to the Mm -hmm. game design. Um, So applying it back to over here, I think the radical reinventions are cool. I think they are more interesting. But that being said, um, sometimes people just want to experience a game. Like, for instance, I know um, one of the recent guests, Tucker from the Backlog Banter, he hated Resident Evil 1 Remake. And Resident Evil 1 Remake is not a faithful one-to-one. It's pretty close regarding camera positioning and essential Resident Evil things. So Mm. he didn't connect with it. He didn't connect with the camera shots and the limited inventory. He did connect with Resident Evil Remake 2. Now, I would argue, and I think you'd agree, Resident Evil 1 Remake might be the best remake of all time. Yeah, one of the best games of all time. It it may fucking rank tippy-top here. It it would be an ideal, I Mm. would say. But for him, it was much more like, yo, just give me a Resident Evil 1 that plays like Resident Evil 2 Remake, and I will love it. Yeah, it's hard for me to imagine that, TBH. but, But they did it for Resident Evil 2 and 3. Yeah. And you liked them. Yeah. Well, ish. <laughs> you put them in at least B tier. Yeah. I just wasn't as glowing as others. No, I mean, I'm pretty glowing on Resident Evil 2 Remake. I, I think I think it's still really good. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's just one of those weird spots where it really depends on your experience with the series and how you feel about interesting new ideas versus refinement. 
Yeah. It's a very delicate balance. And it's kind of a case where I wouldn't have noticed these remakes, like, shortcomings if I hadn't played the original, and I'm not really in a state where I'd recommend people play the original over this. It's just one of those things, it felt a little bit disappointing for me, mainly in how they, like, stepped back the gameplay, because I was going into this being like, oh shit, it's gonna be the original game, which I really like the story of. I think Yakuza 1 still has, like, one of the better stories in the series, but it's gonna play like Yakuza 0, which was, like, smooth as butter combat. And it's like, no, we're just gonna be updating the visuals to Zero's engine, but the gameplay is gonna play, like, Yakuza 3 through 5, which I had kind of gotten tired of. Yeah, devastating. We could we could talk more about remakes and everything later. Are you ready for the variety minute? I'm ready to get varietical. Do, 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 do. The music is playing. This week's Variety Minute is iconic weapons in video games. And looking at random lists, I gotta say, I think Halo fucking swept for some reason. Mm, Well, it's the influence of Energy Sword Sunday. Dude, Energy Swords and the Needler, I think, really do it. I was really into the Needler. I love the concept of the Needler. It's not a good gun, but it but it looks good. No, but you can good. trick yourself into thinking you do more melee damage when it's fully reloaded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose you're right. I suppose you're right. Weapons weapons matter a lot in games, and it's so interesting to see how different they are. Because, like, in Dead Space, for instance, we'll talk about it later, but the Plasma Cutter makes Dead Space. Without it, yeah. it would be, I would say, almost worthless. It's a situation where the weapon defines the gameplay and themes, you know? Yes. The theme of Dead Space is cut their limbs, so they give you a weapon designed to cut their limbs. Something along those lines I was thinking of is like the hidden blade in Assassin's Creed. You know, Assassin's Creed is about being an assassin, about being a hidden knife in the crowd. So the mainstay weapon of the series is something that, you know, just sort of shinks out, shinks back in, you've stabbed a guy. Uh, And you can get a lot of, like, you know, think about, like, all the Assassin's Creed reveal trailers where it's like, oh, is this, is is Ubisoft just doing a period game for the heck of it? Oh, nope, the character just showed off in a hidden blade. It's an Assassin's Creed game, you know? There you go. Um, no, I mean, I, I think I think when it comes to define a franchise, that's when it becomes so cool. I like the gravity gun. I think the gravity gun is the one I immediately came, came to. I was like, yeah, this is a good enough topic. Because um, the gravity gun defines Half-Life. I was thinking about the crowbar. And I was wondering, is the crowbar really in like Gordon Freeman's iconic weapon? Or is it really just... Because in Half-Life 2, it's almost a joke when it's given to him. You know, Barry's like, oh, you're going to need your iconic crowbar, right? And then the crowbar just kind of became an icon of the series. Like, the most recent uh, release, Half-Life Alex, ends with Gordon being handed a crowbar. 
and being told like you know it's time to do it's finally time to do half-life 3 this is your excalibur yeah a fucking random crowbar um I, yeah i think it's one of those things where it's retroactively applied and it's not even necessarily super meaningful in gameplay i don't i don't know about you but i don't use the crowbar that much no 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 it's, it's for breaking boxes and not much else no. I use the gravity gun, though, and I do associate it with, like, a unique item. Ident- you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was looking at a lot of, like, lists of uh, iconic weapons, and the portal gun kept coming up, and that didn't have the same feel. Yeah, it, like, yeah. Uh, a, because it's not really used as a weapon, you know? But something like the gravity gun is definitely because that's, like, so ingrained to Half-Life 2's thesis statement of physics are fun, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's part of its DNA. And it would kind of feel like any sequel that didn't have the gravity gun or some equivalent would feel somewhat lesser, you know? Yeah. I was thinking about, and games with, like, lots of different weapons kind of feel like they have difficulty getting an iconic one. Like, I was thinking about the Ratchet and Clank series, and that has some mainstays that are carried over between sequels, like like the Rhino. The Rhino or the Sheep. Italy. I think the Sheep gun. The sheep and that turns into different things. Thing, yeah, yeah, but it's kind of that feeling of like, you know, if I played a ratchet game that didn't have that, I wouldn't be like, oh no, this is an inferior game. They've they've murdered one of the mainstays, yeah. the iconic sheepinator gun. You know, well, sometimes uh, the the thing I wanted to talk about is sometimes they intentionally subvert expectations with. Um, a weapon. So, for instance, there's two ones here that I see. One of them I just recently covered with David. The Earthbound Mother series uses baseball bat instead of a sword, or Shovel Knight uses a shovel instead of a sword or a cane, because like a cane for uh, Scrooge McDuck's pogo uh, mm-hmm. or Cranky Kong's pogo. Those are very iconic now. Um, so, in a way, there's a sort of subversion of expectations. Sometimes a weapon isn't necessarily. Uh, what you think it could be normally. Um, and then the other one I was thinking of was uh, the Gears of War fucking Lancer with the chainsaw on it. It's like a normal gun. And then there's like a melee aspect where you rush down an opponent. I think that makes Gears of War fun. Yeah. And it's so indicative of like Gears of War's iconography. It's like, this is a game where your guns have chainsaws <laughs> on them. Yeah, like, rock and roll. Yeah, like, I, I, like, how could it be anything but? I Something like, something much more generic I was looking at is, like, the Master Sword. That's an easy pick, because it works both mechanically and narratively. Narratively, it is the culmination of that Link's destiny. He has pulled out the Master Sword. It's fucking Excalibur, dog. Mechanically, the Master Sword is usually a more powerful sword, so it's exciting for the player to also get, because it's like, ooh, now now the enemies are my bitch, you know? I also got that feeling with, I think, God of War, for people's complaints about it as a combat thing, I think narratively, in all of its games, has interesting ways to obtain in the feeling of weapons. Mm-hmm. New weapons in God of War feel really good, and so, like, in uh, 2018's God of War, when you get the Blades of Chaos, it feels good, and it has a narrative weight to it. Yeah, because it's like, you know, I went in, I didn't know that was going to happen. And so when it's like, you need to get a weapon that has a fire property, and Kratos is like, I know where I can get such a weapon. 
it's like you know you start getting the tingles and there's all that narrative there's like that like that long sequence where you're on the boat ride just thinking kratos is thinking about how he's going back to it but you the player are kind of like i'm getting the plates of chaos <laughs> you know yeah you get excited and and he's he is confronting a ghost literally yeah that's super cool how do you feel about something this is the this is my my dark horse entry to this this idea. How do you feel about the diamond sword from Minecraft? <laughs> uh in what way? So it's kind of like the master sword without the narrative impact. It is strictly- It's not a special sword. It's only special because you had to find diamonds to make it. Yes. And it's also quite visually distinct. Like I've I've worked at conventions and stuff and i see like the minecraft merch no one's selling a wooden sword no one's selling a stone sword it is always the bright blue diamond sword because that is a statement of wealth (laughs) and prowess you got diamonds you made a diamond sword you know that's how you do it no uh i'm not opposed to it i just don't think it's like it is iconic but it's mainly iconic because i think of its art style Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, uh, that's kind of what I was getting at, is, like, crafted weapons in these, like, survival games. Do you think there's any that really stick out as iconic to you? Because I can only really think of, like, the diamond sword from Minecraft. There are, like, I don't know about iconic, um, but they do pursue it in, like, let's say Dead Rising 2. Dead Rising 2, you could combine Mm -hmm. weapons together. The combination of weapons feels fun. It just doesn't necessarily feel, you know, iconic is, I guess, the only way to say it. Um, But it is, you know... There's nothing that you would, like, say, oh, if this character... I'm I'm blanking on the name. Um... Chuck Green. Chuck. I knew it was one syllable. Chuck Green. <laughs> if he was in Smash, you wouldn't be like, well, where's his iconic double-ended chainsaw, you know? Oh, I think I would. That would be his side B? Yeah, that would be his side B, dude. Okay, well, maybe I'm off base. But he would have other weapons as part of his moveset. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's the thing is, like, I think I think it is emblematic to Dead Rising 2 that that is the main gimmick of the game, is you are combining weapons into this thing. And Chuck Green is, like, the character to do that, right? Yeah. Um, but let's put it this way. Uh, the main representative, you can still do that in all the other games, in all the other Dead Rising games post-2, uh, but most of the time the hero is Frank West. But Frank West's iconic thing is not combining weapons. You can do that, but his iconic thing is photography. Yes. When you play as Frank West in Marvel vs. Capcom, you are just playing around with zombies and taking pictures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was. I did see Frank West's camera come up, even though I admittedly I haven't played Dead Rising. It'd but, be like Fatal Frame in the camera where it's like, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's some, there's another, uh, there's another narrative significance, iconic weapon. I mean, there's a few like Samus's buster, but for me, I think Samus is more iconic with suits. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I was seeing the buster come up and I was like, eh, I, I don't know. I feel like Samus could wield just about anything. It's the suit itself. That's iconic because that's what you upgrade. Yes. That's what you apply. Like the morph ball is way more important to me as like a concept. But the vampire killer in Castlevania, I think, is uh, applicable because the vampire killer is probably one of the few mainstays. Even when you're not playing as a Belmont, the vampire killer is 
in most games. Yeah, it is, it's it kind is of got a, that Master Sword feel, right? It's got a canonical through line, and especially since, you know, there is a heavy, you know, emphasis on the changing times, uh, the consistency of what the vampire killer represents means something. And, you know, the vampire killer is going to mean something in the new Netflix Castlevania series. Yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? I think also I wanted to mention... RPG characters having unique weapons. You know, like you see Cloud with his big ass buster sword. Um, I think the mo most iconic is the Gunblade from 8, yes. where it's like a pistol sword. Um, it's even iconic in fucking like Kingdom Hearts. You know what I mean? It's a gun sword. Yeah, like I, I tell the story. I did not know any Final Fantasy stuff when I played Kingdom Hearts 1 the first time. So when this, like, you know, dude ambushes Sora in the middle of Traverse Town and he pulls out a revolver that's a sword, I was like, oh, this guy's, like, serious business. This guy's cool. Yeah. As fuck. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I gotta shout out Dig Dug, uh, the pump. I'm pro-pump. Inflation. Inflation. Love inflation, dude. Is Mario's hammer iconic? This was the other thing I was grappling with. No, I think what is iconic would possibly be a fire flower. Okay. The fire flower or the cape was also the but thing. But that's not as much of a weapon, whereas it's very clear. Like, to me, the fire flower is a gun. <laughs> that oh, makes okay. sense. Mario with a gun. Nintendo hire this man. Donkey Kong has a gun. He does, and if he shoots you, it's going to hurt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's iconic, no. I don't know many others. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty more. Um, like the Golden Gun from GoldenEye. There's a lot of them that are also like screen killers, like the BFG, where it just clears a screen. Mm -hmm. I'm like, eh, sure, I guess. Yeah. Do you what think the Keyblade is an iconic weapon? Yes, absolutely. The memorable design, and then like in narratively, you know, it kind of, it, it denotes your special boy status. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of how they keep, like, hyping, like, piling on things the Keyblade can do. I was kind of cool with it just being a magic sword in the original, but, you know, say la vie. I'm, I, I will do a shout out here for, uh, what, what the fuck was it? Oh, fuck. Um, I think Team Fortress 2 has interesting weapons. Oh, um, yes. I think, I think, like, the spy knife and the medic's, uh, medic gun are, like, iconic and are essential it, you know it evokes a class and it just yes. comes and like they are unique classes before team fortress 2 like a lot of this shit just didn't function like that and none of them are like an ak-47 you know yes. it's like the soldier class uses a rocket launcher exactly right? And that's just, like, so indicative. That tells you a lot about the character, and it tells you a lot about, like, the wacky, ultra-violence world they live in, you know? Yes. It, it's not It's not so much hit-scan bullshit. There are mm -hmm. some, like, fucking machine gun weapons, but they're almost always the mediocre-ass weapons. Snipers got one, and you don't want to use it. You want to yeah. use the fucking sniper rifle. Yeah, and even the sniper rifle has a whole, like, charge mechanic, where if you wait exactly. longer to fire, it deals more damage. No, I think I think those are all iconic. I think I think multiplayer first person shooters have to carefully consider their unique weapons because that's when weapons matter most. You know, in Zelda, it actually doesn't matter what you call a fucking sword. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't. But yeah. in a in a fucking first person shooter game, it does.
Yeah. All right. I think it's time. It's time. We need to make ourselves whole. Voice analysis of the audio log detects various indicators of positive communication and physical This week's game is Dead Space. Dead Space is a game made in 2008 for the PC, Xbox 360, and PS3. Systems engineer Isaac Clark joins a team to check on the mining vessel, the USG Ishimura. Uh, you know, we're in the distant future. You know, we're fucking space traveling with fucking spaceships. And it's also like a dystopian capitalist planet mining shit. Um, but what matters to Isaac is his girlfriend Nicole is on the ship. The ship has been overrun by Cronenberg-esque monsters called Necromorphs. Um, fortunately, Isaac has the best fucking tool to take him down. Um, a plasma cutter that can cut off their limbs. Um, his job is to save Nicole, get off the ship, figure out the mysterious details of the marker, survive, oh, and uh, make us whole. So Murph, um, what did you think of this game? So this is my first time playing this, again, because never had a PS3, never had an Xbox 360, generation passed over me, but I know of Dead Space, because it was featured at, like, one of the very first E3s I watched, and the whole notion of strategic dismemberment, as they called it, was very intriguing to me. It's kind of one of those, like, and then it became super-duper famous with, like, two sequels, and a movie, and a comic book series, and what have you. Um, and then, like, the whole tragedy of Remedy getting screwed over by EA. So, like, I kind of went into this with very high expectations, and I walked out being like, eh, it was okay. Yeah. That's fair. Um, in contrast to, you only played this, like, last year, Resident Evil 4. What did you think of the original Resident Evil 4 in this context? I like original Resident Evil 4 more than original Dead Space. I think original Resident Evil 4 is admittedly... Uh, a, I kind of... I, I like the story more. I, I, well, not necessarily. I don't think the story's better. But I just kind of glom onto the characters more. It's... We'll get... To, I guess we'll get to the actual plot in a bit, but I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like comparing, like, oh, do you like... Fucking, I don't know. Godzilla 1954 versus... Godzilla 2000 and it's like those are like I don't know those are two very (laughs) different tones you know yeah because okay I guess we'll get into it we'll we'll ignore the Resident Evil 4 bit and uh, my my point was and you you could guess was like Dead Space in gameplay plays like Resident Evil 4 meets System Shock a little bit and then meets Half-Life Mm-hmm. And it's like that's it. That's that's the bread and butter. And then it's Cronenberg monsters, and then a plasma rifle. We'll get over all that. But like for the plot, this is a silent protagonist, yes. and then you have a couple NPCs that talk to you and tell you what you need to do for a side quest. 
each each section is segmented into a specific mission where you go to a specific part of the ship and you have to do something. It's like, oh, oh my god, Isaac, the fucking toilet in Sector Z is broken. You have to fix the toilet before we can activate the pods. Yeah. And then you have to go fix the toilet. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole lot of go there, do this. And, you know, they kind of work it into very logical ways. Like, the asteroid defense system is down, so it's going to... Asteroids are chewing up the ship, which you kind of need because it's so far your only way out. And yeah. stuff like that. It's hard to talk about. This is a difficult game to talk about. I, it's just there's kind of a few different avenues I want to go down. Let's start... Okay. okay, here's my main question. How shooty do the sequels get how how what shooty how 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 action action shooter do they get i would say um by dead space three uh, there's uh, there's no other way to there's no other way to say this other than you know dead space three uh kind of took a page from resident evil five it goes heavy into co-op play let's say you have your own sheva does that make sense yes okay because the thing i always heard about with dead space 3 is like those monsters at ea killed this atmospheric tense slow survival horror and then playing this the first time i'm like they're like this is an action game yeah, yeah by, by hour two most of your encounters with the necromorphs are in horde mode you know yes i would say that uh dead space 2 goes a long way for horror a lot of that is due to mood a lot of that is due to extra aesthetic efforts and then also isaac can talk in dead space 2 mm -hmm. so they lean more into isaac going crazy and having his own like thing going on so by that point in time they have much more of an, an identity to it um here because isaac can't talk a lot of the uh we're going to go ahead and say spoiler. Spoiler time. Um, a lot of like the going insane stuff doesn't play out in this very well. Yeah. So I knew Nicole is dead going in because that's like a famous video game Easter egg. If you save yes. at the start of each chapter in a new slot, the first letter of each chapter spells out Nicole is dead. So you knew the twist. Yes. I didn't know the stuff with like. The, like the unitology cult and uh, uh getting betrayed by one of your uh, co-pilots and stuff like that all i knew is that whenever nicole showed up she was a hallucination you know yeah. and i don't really yeah. know i feel like i would have figured that out i think it i think at a certain point in time it signposts it yeah yeah, because it's like, why why is she popping up saying, make us whole again, you know? There's there's times where it's, like, completely inappropriate, and you're like, oh, God. You know what I mean? Like, I, there's times where it's very clear that he's going insane, or there's something weird going on. But in, like, other games, there's characterization to either the main character, or does something much more effective to the player. Like, in Ar you know what's a, I'm, this is going to be a super dumb example, but Arkham Asylum. You know, when Scarecrow gives you the fucking fear gas and you're going crazy, it's it's clear what's going on. Yeah. And and I'm not saying you should be as unsubtle as that, but um, because there's no feedback from Isaac, there's very little like connection between what's real and what's fake in a bad way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like I think there is something to be said by having him be silent. It does create this very like it adds to the atmosphere in a way of you just kind of being it does in a way. with your thoughts, and it kind of sells this idea of like Isaac being this somewhat man of few words quietly dealing with the carnage you know did you did you read any of the stuff in the menus like the like the lore logs or oh not oh, just the lore the, logs the, but the mission stuff yeah the mission like where i next. need to go next okay so an interesting thing about the gameplay i should say this now just so we get it out of the way is there's like a button you can press on your stick that shows you where you need to go i actually really liked that that was super effective yes thank fucking god i wish every fucking game had that yes and i also like the hud i'll just get that out of the way now too is the health bar and the stasis bar are just on your character there is an immersion to that where it's like not a fucking th- meter on your normal screen it's on your character that's really cool yada 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 but what i was trying to say was i just lost it because i had to talk about those fuck what was i just talking about uh the the chapter just isaac writing down in his journal oh yes okay so the one thing that characterizes isaac is when you read some of the stuff especially the guide stuff if you ignore the line and you just do the game normally and you're like where the fuck do i go if you load up the menu and you look into the quest logs Isaac writes stuff down. This is one of those moments where you can see him talk about things. Mm. So he does say things. Like he talks about knowing the crew of the Ishimura. He knows a lot more of the crew of the Ishimura than just Nicole. So when he sees them, he's like, oh my god, I just killed fucking so-and-so. This, I feel fucking terrified. This is crazy. No, I didn't see any of that. Yes. So like there's moments like that where he's like responding to, oh, I need to do this or like, you know, I don't trust this. So those characterization moments exist, but they're buried under an irrelevant mechanic because you don't ever need to look at what you need to do because there's a button that tells you where to go. Yeah. Hmm. Because I think it goes back. We, we had a variety minute. Um, I believe it was the, the Half-Life episode where we talked about silent protagonists. And yes. one of the thing one of the games we talked about that I think kind of compares to Dead Space is Bioshock. Would Bioshock benefit if Jack could speak and react to things? And I watched a lot of footage from the Dead Space remake where Isaac does talk. He's played by the actor that plays him in two and three, correct? Yes. And the thing I noticed is that, because when I was thinking about Bioshock with a voice protagonist, I was thinking a lot of the protagonists talking to themselves, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's not what they do in the remake. It's just... He's talking to people. Yeah, to people. There's not, like, stuff where he's like, huh, I can use stasis on that door to slow it down. You yeah. Know? Stuff like, very generic, like open world protagonist stuff but but you know but i think that's cool i'm i really wish we played the remakes for this eridan played the remake uh he liked it apparently but that being said the thing i like is is because this version has just people talking to you isaac you need to do this Mm -hmm. like they're just talking heads at you i wish you could talk back to them or like as we've been talking about with the madness thing when it gets to the nicole stuff nicole has conversations with isaac about you know his family and unitology which is this old like overarching issue in the series so that fleshes out more you know yeah and i saw they do I, I, what I've seen of the remake 
I like the expansions they've done to it, like giving Isaac a completely different back. Well, not com- different, like expanded backstory with his mother was in the church and she did a murder suicide on his father and stuff like that. And how we met Nicole is different. And even the twist with like how Nicole is revealed as a hallucination is done differently because they expand the roles of some uh, Ishimura crew that you only find in voice logs in the original. Yeah. There, do you, what, what, what route do you want to go now? There's still so many. So, okay, staying with the story elements, what I like about this game is it kind of does one of my favorite horror movie tropes where there, there's like two different horror movies going on. Or like yes. it's a it's a movie that's walked into another movie. Like this space yes. zombie plot interrupted a like space cult plot actively in progress. Yes. And that's really cool. Like if it had just been about the necromorphs, I think the game would have felt very generic, very interesting enemy design, um, and combat but, design. Yeah. But it wouldn't have been that interesting narratively they, they could have just done a half-life where it's like oh creatures from another dimension yada, yes yada, yada. exactly but adding in the uh, cult aspect and the psychological horror aspect with like the creepy whispers and everything like am i crazy or does the like the merchant robot repeatedly say kill yourself <laughs> i think he does i think he does I, I don't know if it's like a glitch or what but i think that's intentional yeah yeah um and and also there's like scares sometimes you'll go to the shop and then there's like a necromorph that pops out I, those are the moments that worked most for me it's like oh my god <laughs> yeah. oh shit mm-hmm. but it's like the actual necromorphs kind of lost their punch after a while especially once you yeah, like get fast. good at killing them like any horror scenario well it doesn't help that you have a okay so what's weird is a little dabble into gameplay real quick you've got stasis which is broken as fuck i did not know that was an element of this series i did not know that you had psychokinesis and time dilation powers i know and then yeah the, then you have fucking te- you know telekinesis you can shoot shit from your fucking hands or whatever and that's really useful and then you have a bunch of weapons and admittedly the issue there is the only weapon that is like super useful is the plasma cutter yeah you could use the other weapons and they're they're fine they're all right but, but the moment nine times out of up, ten the moment you pick them yeah. up their ammo starts spawning it's not like resident yes. evil where they'll give you ammo for weapons you don't have if you only use yeah. the plasma cutter you will only ever pick up plasma cutter ammo yeah and that's all you need. Yeah, literally all you need is the plasma cutter. Yeah, like, genuinely. There's... Like, I felt like yeah. a chump getting, like, the plasma rifle. Because I was like, oh, Dude, this... that fucking machine gun thing is kind of garbage. Yeah. Well, I mean, they even say, like, oh, don't use the plasma rifle. That's shit at killing these things. Uh, the yeah, only one like, that feels, it's... like, super useful is... Well, it was situationally useful just for getting things done with is the line launcher. The flamethrower was okay when it had like the small little ones. When there's like a small little horde of the tiny thingies, I um, had a, I I got I got mileage out of the flamethrower. Yeah, I never I never used the flamethrower. I never used the the saw. Saw's not good. Yeah, I primarily just did the plasma cutter and the line launcher. And the line yeah. launcher mainly to deal with those uh those horrible like black necromorphs. Yeah. Um, it was weird, like, that's another thing, it's like, it was weird that when that marine vessel crashes into the ship, and they're like, ooh, we're introducing a new enemy type, super fast necromorphs, but they didn't seem all that much faster than the regular ones, because no. it's not like the, uh, the existing necromorphs are, like, 
Resident Evil 4 villagers where they kind of like slowly creep at you. Like they're They were already, already running at you. Yeah. yeah, they're already running at you. It's like, oh, now they're slightly faster, but it's like I've gotten pretty good at like dead-eyeing a leg from here, you know? Yeah, you needed dramatically unique monster designs for it to be interesting again. And it doesn't it doesn't ever hit that point. Like at a certain point in time, the fear goes away. I think though, to defend that, I think that's a natural thing in a combat horror game. I get that feeling in every Resident Evil. Every Resident Evil sort of abandons the horror aspect at least two thirds in. Yeah, but I feel like this really loses it fast. Yeah. Yeah, you you talked about it about Uncharted. Uh, two episodes ago. You talked about with Tucker, where it's like, okay, I'm entering a room full of chest-high walls. I wonder what's going to happen here. And that's kind of how I felt with Dead Space. It's like, oh, I'm entering a really open room. I wonder if the doors are going to close, and it says biohazard present, (laughs) you know. I'm about to fucking murder a bunch of things, and my eyes are going to glaze over. I'm going to stop having fun. And I can't... It's just one of those situations where it's like, you know what? I would have shaved two maybe three hours off this game and had a much tighter experience and what's there is already like pretty tight especially by modern AAA game standards and i think this game does go out of its way for variety at points it just doesn't go for it in the basic gameplay it'll go for it for unique gimmicks like shooting the the uh asteroids or the uh you know zero grav segments or the breathing Mm -hmm. uh in space segments you know that's that's all nice. Yeah, they're they're, they're there fun. Is some variety but there. Th- I think um, it's no, just not fundamental. It, like, the survival horror aspect aspect really bled away once I was halfway through the game. Like I had no fear going into the final stage because I was like, I have so much yeah. ammo stockpiled, and maybe that's something that's like yeah. I sold my healing yeah, a lot. Yeah, I, I, I did that too. Um, where I was kind of like, you know, I'm not trying to get gamer cred here, but like I, I always like saw a lot of like reviews for this game and retrospectives on this game where people are like, oh, you really need to count your shots because ammo is a scarcity. And it's like, is it? Or are you just are you just is bad no? at aiming and missing your shots? <laughs> is Especially when you are given like an entire tool to like smash uh, creatures. Um, the melee is okay, especially when you're stomping. And then when you stomp things, you also get ammo from them. And then it's like, oh my God, I'm getting so yeah. much ammo. It, yeah, the, the resources aren't as finite as they should be. Now, admittedly, I didn't play this on normal. I, I, played I played this it on, on normal. normal. I just normally play on normal. Yeah, like I, I think that is the normal experience. And in that aspect... If I ever played this again, I I would play hard. Like, do you think you should have to play hard in order to get more of a survival horror experience? A scary experience? No. No, I should. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, But I don't hate this game either. I think we're being very down on this game. But, like, I think one of the things that's important to note is, number one, this is, like... This is one of those games that was like obviously very huge page off of Resident Evil 4, but there's a lot of innovations and refinement in gameplay from this, like being able to move and aim and just a lot of minor things that gave it a smoother experience. Whereas Resident Evil 4, for founding a genre almost, it is still very close to tank Mm -hmm. controls. It is as if you just moved the camera and tank controls and it made more sense. And like, you know, I don't want to be like overly down on this game like okay 
the the actual design of everything, the production design is super well done. Like the actual look of the necromorphs when you actually are able to look at like a still one and you can see like where the necromorph begins and the human bit ends. That's super cool. The actual like yeah. Ishimura, how it has this very like satirical capitalist like, you know, it's the place of the future. Come see our zero G basketball court. But then like everything else is like run down the cafeteria's mm-hmm. crap. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I I dig those. I think it had a lot of personality in that way. And I do like unitology as a cult i think that Uh is a cool cult i have a little difficulty wrapping my head around the marker is a man-made marker but we forgot we made it Uh, that's super deep lore and dead space 2 and onwards it even goes Mm. deeper i'm not what we can we'll, we'll we won't spoil it but yeah no there's some very confusing bits to it but even then i think the religious aspects work for me and i also wanted to say I think Isaac as a suit. I think that's a really cool suit. It's kind of disappointing when he takes off his helmet and he's just like a potato man. It's a fucking ugly white guy from fucking 2008. White. He's like, he's like blistered red skin. Um, (laughs) How do you feel about horror games being well lit? This is another difference I noticed with the remake. Um, I think, and I mean, also this is probably a thing in Resident Evil 4 versus Resident Evil 4 remake. I noticed that difference too. I think lighting is super important to horror and um, serves to abstract or, you know, the unseen is what's scary. But also on the other end, you want to be able to clearly Especially in a game like this where targeting is so important. Exactly. Where it's very essential to, you don't want to actually miss any, like, significant detail you need to shoot their fucking legs dog like you need to be able to see their legs you know you don't want to get like early on i was having some difficulty because i felt like i was i was like shooting at the thing but the necromorphs were so herky-jerky that they would like move slightly to the left and my shot would just hit their head which only pisses them off and i was like oh well that's a wasted shot then you know if only the hits hit scan was better. I got better as it at it as I went through the game, especially with how many necromorphs you have to fight in groups. No, and I don't want to be too down on this game because like it definitely feels like one of those games that's like made to be iconic, you know? Yeah, and it's also one of those things where it's like in the time this is I mean, obviously this is like yeah. a fucking triple A game. Super big franchise. This is kind of what I would want out of a AAA franchise, just generally, especially when in, in regards to sci-fi and the gameplay influences. Like, uh, I have very little complaints about the approach. I think it's the details where I'm like, yeah, this isn't this isn't landing. It's like a B minus. Yeah, me. B minus is definitely where I'm at. B minus B. Like, it, if you want to turn that into numbers, it's like a seven out of ten. It's just, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm feeling just a little let down because i always heard you know i I played through all the resident evils and i was like okay i guess i can like and i never thought of myself as really a survival horror guy but i did that and i'm like oh i i kind of want to check out other survival horror games and dead space was at the top of the list there's there's elements of half-life 2 that are scarier than this i would agree with that yeah i would say most of like ravenswood uh or ravenholm damn it (laughs) is much more scarier and has tenser feeling moments and also involves you, like, possibly using physics to take me- out creatures in half, cutting their limbs. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I think it, yeah, Dead Space is missing a shotgun moment, you know? It's yeah. where it's just like, here's here's the moment where you can really just go to town on things. And it like that does happen, but it's in a very kind of lame way where it's like, I have so much ammo and healing that no encounter is a problem rather than you never feel in danger, but you also never feel empowered in like a power fantasy. Yes, exactly. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Like I went into that final boss and I've just felt kind of very ho-hum about it, which is you know, kind of weird to say because it's this cool setup like you're fighting this space butt. And this meteor's crashing down. I think it would have worked if it was on, an, like, a timer. Is it on a timer? Like, is there an invisible timer? Like, if you just sit around, will the meteor eventually crash into the planet? I doubt it, but I'd have to check. Mm. Yeah, I I do want to play the remake because it seems like what they've expanded on for the story makes it a much more fleshed-out experience. On the flip side, though, they added side quests, which I really don't think this game needs. <laughs> Do, I'm I'm uh, yeah uh, this game is bloated this game is bloated I don't want it to bloat more but that being said if they found a way to I noticed that they fixed some of the puzzles because like I guess I guess we should talk about you know puzzles where I now. died the most was figuring out what I was supposed to do with that floating bit of rock. Oh. I didn't realize you could walk yeah. outside. No, uh, looking at some of the gameplay, they fine-tuned some of the puzzles and streamlined them to make them, like, baby easy. But I don't mind, because they're already easy in, like, a bad way. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, what do I do? Oh, that's all I have to do? Oh, okay. I have to move the and cube it's like, okay, into the square it. peg? Or, you know. Yes. But but then you have to, like, te- like telekinetically move it, and then you gotta hit it at a right angle, or else it's, like, going sideways, and you're like, well, fuck. And then it's like, oh, I wonder what's gonna happen when I start the power-up sequence, and this door starts yeah. opening slowly. Yeah, it's just, it's, just, uh... it's just very telegraphed, I think, is the ultimate. If they had leaned more into the psychological aspect, like, you know, you're fighting, like, some hallucinations or some stuff, I think... Two does that more. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and defend. De- Dead Space 2, again, leans further into, like, Isaac's going crazy. Because they characterize him more. Like, mm-hmm. th- that does so much work here. Whereas in this one, and I think there is, there is, like, a version of a game where you are a silent protagonist and you're going insane. That feels personal deeply. But it doesn't work here. Because mm-hmm. this is also an alien movie. Yeah, and kind of, it feels like a story where it's like, if one dude's not talking, that kind of breaks up the, the tension of, not necessarily the tension, but the uh, the flow of dialogue. It's not a story that, Alien doesn't work if Ripley doesn't, like, interact with the crew. Exactly, and like, and this is something to praise Half-Life 2 for. Half-Life 2 has moments where you're like, Gordon should probably talk here, but it never feels, like, inappropriate. Yeah. Like, it never feels out of place. Whereas here, it's like, yo, Isaac would say something. Gordon isn't that, ultimately not really that much of a character in the plot of Half-Life. Yes, whereas fucking Isaac has to do everything. It's like, yo, you're the engineer. You're perfect for this. Isaac, go do this. Yeah, and the twist hinges on Isaac. Yes, exactly. My only real, like, true, like, plot criticism of the game is, why the fuck would you open the escape pod? (laughs) Oh, when the mili- when the military Oh my god. I think that's just a horror movie cliche thing. But they're showing up explicitly to exterminate the crew. 
So wouldn't they be like, oh yeah, we got a we got an escape pod. We just killed what was ever inside uh, it. You see, and that's like a moment where it feels like they think of the set pieces and like the horror moments bit by bit by bit instead yeah. of actually building the logic of what's happening. And it's like I on paper it's a cool setup. It's like, "Oh, we're we you know, the rescue is coming." And they're like, "We got your escape pod we you shot out earlier." And like on theory, you're supposed to be like, "Oh my god, don't open the pod." Yes. Like in the moment you but, think that and then afterwards you're like, "Wait one second. That that makes no sense. What the fuck?" Also because taking out one necromorph is ultimately pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so I feel like a bunch of fully armored dudes with guns should have been able to do it. I, you know, I digress. Again, it's still a good game. Yeah. It's just not what I had built up in my mind. Let me ask you, did you feel, did you feel this level? I think, I think when you played Half-Life 2, you're like, I get it. You didn't, you didn't love it, love it, but you're like, I get it. This game, do you get it? This game, I get definitely get why it became famous. It is such, like, you know, if we, if this was announced today... I would be in. I would be like intrigued by it, you know. Did you play Callisto Protocol? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, Callisto Protocol is coming into a world that Dead Space built. You yes, know? that makes sense. So, and like, you know, it's just so different for at the time. It's so different now that yeah. I am glad it exists. That makes sense. Um, yeah, Half Life Two was just like. I had built up this, like, monumental <laughs> game in my mind. A goat. And you're like, is it a goat, though? Whereas this one's like, I was oh, like, A+. plus. Is it an A+. plus? No. Yeah. That exactly. Makes that makes so, sense. So, I think we've made enough enemies today. Yeah, I think I think we picked a lot of fights. I don't even... I'm trying to think of other positives to say about this game. I'm back. I'm back on the cast. I'm ready to start controversy. I'm ready to start beefs. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. What other beefs are we doing? Uh, you know what? We're we're starting we're starting beefs. Actually, no, we're not because you know next episode we're going to be playing a good Zelda game for once. That's what I'm talking about. I forgot you liked this one. I know we are we are going to Colinet Colinet Colinet. Oh my God! Colinet. Is there even an N? Am I crazy? Is there an N? Colinet. Colinet. Island to figure out the mystery of the windfish in Link's Awakening. And I I am excited. I'm excited too. This is a this is like a goat 2D Zelda. It is. I would say it's either the it's it's either the best or Phantom Hourglasses, and those are the only two options. I need to my actual prep for the episode is gonna be dabbling back into the Oracle games, just so I can confidently say it. Never um, played the Oracle games. Yeah, that's I mean, I played them years ago, so I'm like, I should probably brush up. I now like am very like I play Link's Awakening. I have the Game and Watch Zelda thing. So I play the black and white version of Link's Awakening all the time. Like I now know the black and white version by heart. Um but that being said, um our guest of that episode is Will Borger. Um, old, old friend of the show that's never been on. Back in the fucking episode one, he's like, oh, I'd love to guest star. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's nice. I just, I just it, we fucked up. So, tut, long, tut, tut. long time coming. Um, and then what else do we have? Uh, you know what? We're pumping out more and more content on the YouTube channel all the time. I put up a, a little 30-minute rapid-fire review of some indie games I had played uh, over my break i saw it it was really good it's way better than a normal what you playing i uh, yeah yep that because it's all me baby <laughs> shut up <laughs> anyways uh yeah and uh, we're also uploading like the cast to the youtube channel in like little 
chunks and stuff. And we also do it we also do it before the release of the main thing just to I'm trying to I'm trying to urge people to go. I want you to go to the YouTube channel. Yeah, like like comment and subscribe. Even if it's something simple to say, like, like you're wrong about Dead Space or you're right about Dead Space, comment that on the Earthbound video just to really confuse. I want to be the next Mr. Beast and I want to be able to go to a starving island where there are children looking at me and I want to be able to hand them a million copies of Dead Space and be like, here you go, I'm Mr. Beast. <laughs> I went to Africa and gave them all <laughs> copies of Dead Space? Imagine that thumbnail, man. That's a good thumbnail. <laughs> uh, I think we're playing out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>